Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com. And today I'm excited to have as my guest, Ariel. And, uh, huh, God, I put your last name somewhere else and now I'm, is it, remind me your last name, I'm sorry. It's okay, it's Ariel Brown. Brown, that's right. Okay, I, I wrote the last name somewhere else. Okay, so I'm excited to have as my guest Arielle Brown, who I'm just meeting for the first time, obviously. Um, Arielle is an intimacy coach and educator who specializes in working with the energetics of attraction, receptivity, and connection. Through her private coaching and group workshops, she helps people create deeply fulfilling relationships without sacrificing their individual dreams or desires. By teaching people how to engage in relationship as a practice rather than a performance. Welcome to the show, Arielle Brown. (laughs) Thank you. I'm really happy to be here, Sumati. So glad to have you here. So um, you're an intimacy coach and you talk about engaging in relationship as a practice rather than a performance. So can you tell us a little bit about what that means to you? Yes. Uh, happy. So my feelings are that we live in a culture that's given us a very homogenous approach to uh, what romantic relationship is supposed to look like, uh, namely that we're supposed to engage in monogamous relationships. And many people come in actually believing that I need to change who I am and hide what I want in order to make relationship work. You know, and we also live in a culture that uh, really profits off of selling us things to have us change who we are, whether it's our weight, um, our intelligence, our aesthetic appeal, the things that we own. So what I find winds up happening is we come into relationship believing that we need to hide certain aspects of ourselves in order to be lovable. And that if that's the baseline for how we begin our relationships, we wind up just playing out this performance of who do I need to be in order to make relationship work and keep this love in my life. So when I talk about engaging in relationship as a practice, the offer is to shift from feeling that I need to perform and change who I am to instead embrace the radical practice of how do I be as authentic myself as authentically myself as possible while staying open, vulnerable, and connected with this person across from me and practice vulnerable connection, practice vulnerability and truth um, as a way towards becoming who we're really meant to be in this world. Wow, I really related a lot to that. There's a lot in there. Um, I, too, have been looking at my past relationships and how they tended to be kind of based on um, what, being whoever I needed to be so they wouldn't leave me and I wouldn't get triggered from my abandonment issues. <laughs> so I think a lot of women, and probably men too, um, base our behavior on you know that, those fears, some of those core fears around abandonment, rejection, being unlovable or unwanted. Um, so how, how do people kind of quiet those old wounds to be able to show up as who they authentically are. Mm-hmm. Well, there's many 
different. The first is actually being able to acknowledge that there is a depth of intimacy that we are craving in our relationships that I dare say 95% of at least the American population is not experiencing. The first step is actually acknowledging that, you know, like successful in making a relationship work, but am I actually experiencing the fulfillment and meaning in relationship that I'm desiring? So once we actually get to this place of acknowledging that we want something more, um, the next step that's, may seem very counterintuitive to common dating culture is to actually lead very transparently around what our desires and what our boundaries are in relationships. And it's funny, like I'll have clients ask me, well, but if I'm super honest about what I want and need, won't that kind of kill the mystery and just fizzle out the chemistry? And Mm -hmm. it's so funny that we're just kind of trained to conceal who we are to kind of like lure and hook people in and what I say to them is, is no, like the, the truth is no. When we are actually willing to engage in relationship from being honest about these are the things that I really want. These are the things that I need. These are the things that I'm a no to. And these are the places where I'm curious or have a desire to explore. What we wind up doing is just creating a lot of clarity up front where each person can know, like, okay, is this actually someone that I want to engage with further, or are we not, are we not on the same page that our desires and boundaries are? Um, and then the other piece is once we're super upfront with what we want right away, all of a sudden it becomes way easier for both people to really play all out in relationship and to fully lean in. Because what happens is when we hide aspects of who we are, and aren't completely upfront about what we want and need, it, it's really easy to feel like we kind of need to tiptoe around the relationship because we don't know where the other person stands, and we haven't mm-hmm. been honest either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really all about communication, and I find that so much of intimacy, we've been trained to not talk about it, especially when it comes to sexual intimacy. There's such a deep training around Sex is something that just happens, and if you talk about it, it kills the mood. So um, do you find a lot of resistance in your clients to learning how to use their words? Um, Like specifically in sex or just in general? Either. There's there's fear. Yeah, there's there's fear of um, being made wrong. There's fear of being rejected. Um, there's the fear of not doing it right or being messy. Um, and there's fear of not being understood. And, you know, I was just having a conversation with a client today who um, he was in uh, a, a, an emotionally abusive narcissistic relationship for about 15 years and just got out and is getting a divorce and is just being honest about the fact with me that, he wants to learn how to explore intimacy with people, but he's not ready for a monogamous relationship. And he's facing the fear of being able to be honest about that truth with women um, and, you know, facing the fear of like that not being okay. And there's a reframe that I offer here around, you know, rather than worrying about being rejected, instead, I'm going to invite you into the energy of feeling how much approval and permission you are offering the woman across from you by being 
honest about who you are and what you want right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So rather than being in the fear of it, instead realizing that we live in a culture that is built around like, shame and judgment. And really mm-hmm. beneath it all, what we're all wanting is the, the permission to be vulnerable. And when one person is willing to do that and own that, there's this amazing relief that often occurs for both parties involved. So really shifting into a different vibrational state when we're having these conversations. Absolutely. We have so many fears. It's, you know, I just want to bless all of us for even getting into relationships at all with all of the fears that we run. Um, But I love how you shifted it around to focus on what can I give this person instead of just being so worried about all my fears and am I going to get hurt? But instead, how can I show up and be a role model for vulnerability and honesty and really asking for what I want. That's really beautiful. Yes. And Um, the other piece is just really um, like really looking at like so much of the work that I do with clients is helping them to identify the underlying belief systems and stories that are running the show of how they engage in relationships. And so many of us enter into the relationship with enter into relationship with the belief that I can't have what I want, I need to fight for what I want, or I won't be respected for what I want. So a big part of this is just shifting into a different belief system around, like, people actually want to give me what I want. And it's okay to have desires. And it's okay to lead with what I desire as opposed to feeling like in order to make the relationship work, I need to hide what I want. So it's, it's a total relationship reframe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. And I also love your um, how your relationship theory is informed by um, the cultural influences that we have. You talked in the beginning about how, you know, society and advertising and, and so much has influenced us to try to be something that we not aren't, that we aren't. Um, and I looked on your website and I saw that you used to be an eating coach. And I was wondering if your experience with, with eating and food addiction and um, body image issues, if, if all of that stuff has informed your theory of relationship. Oh, very much so. Um, you know, it's funny. So my background is I have a BA in clinical counseling psychology and a minor in philosophy. And that was, I got my, um, my BA back on the East Coast. And what actually wound up bringing me out to the West Coast was um, my love for for culinary. Uh, While I was uh, in school learning, I was also waitressing in this um, wine and tapas restaurant. And I wound up becoming the pastry chef there because I loved desserts and just wasn't impressed with their desserts. And I just became absolutely in love with the culinary industry and the restaurant industry. So I moved out to California, and while I had this passion for food, I was also completely consumed by my relationship with food, really fixated on the shape of my body, really struggled with negative body image, and just really in moments remember being in bed thinking to myself, no one is ever going to love me because of the shape of my body. And wound up going out to culinary school, really struggling with binge eating and chronic dieting and just 
getting to this place after I graduated from culinary school where my life was literally ruled by what am I going to eat late to, later tonight? What am I going to eat the next morning? And um, like I had this breaking point where I was trying to fit myself into the size six pair of pants and wound up going from trying to fit myself into them to trying to rip them to shreds with my thighs <laughs> and just realizing like, whoa, this is not working. Like, and this is consuming my life. So I typed food psychology into Google and found the Institute for the Psychology of Eating and wound up like changing my track and getting certified as an eating psychology coach where I really started to look at how our relationship to food, how our relationship to our bodies and how our relationship to pleasure, to receiving pleasure, and in this case, the pleasure of actually tasting and fully receiving the nurturance of the food that we're eating, you know, is, is symbolic of our relationship with life. And it's particularly this piece around pleasure, like am I actually able to slow down and feel the goodness of the food that I'm eating wound up translating into me going more into the exploration of my own sexuality, where I got to this place about five or six years ago where I realized, you know, I've been with a lot of lovers, but the amount of truly satisfying sexual encounters I've had, you know, I can count them maybe on one hand. And I realized that I'm the common denominator. And, like, I didn't actually know how to ask for what I wanted. And I was so preoccupied with worrying about whether or not the person I was in bed with was enjoying their experience that I, I like, couldn't even think about my experience. It was hard for me to mm-hmm. even fall to sleep next to the person that right. I had, had sex with. So, yes, like, our, our approval for our bodies, our embracing of our bodies or lack thereof um, has played such a major role in, you know, where I've gotten to in my coaching work with intimacy. Beautiful. Thank you for that story. So how did you end up wanting to explore open relationships in your life? Mm-hmm. So I, up until about, I guess, three years ago, I, I'd been a serial monogamous. Um monogamist, um, jumping from one relationship to another. And I, you know, I'm, I'm an intense woman and I tend to attract really intense men and, um, dark, intense men, you know, a lot of powerful energy. And what would wind up happening is I was so fixated on the desire to have this partner, this relationship that I would immerse myself so quickly um, in this monogamous relationship with this man that I barely, you know, what, like didn't matter the man, but create this story about our connection and just completely immerse myself in it and literally just become untethered from my own reality, from my own grounding and just kind of throw myself into this person's reality. And what I was saying to you earlier about how, you know, we, we become who we believe this person wants us to become, I would just do mm-hmm. that so wholeheartedly and so kind of blindly that I would get to this point where I was just like, I couldn't even see the shore of my own soul, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I would realize Mm -hmm. that like have this dramatic, you know, ending of the relationship 
um, not really discern the wisdom that I needed to end this pattern and just recreate it in the next relationship. And what I wound up learning and this, like this shift moving into open relationship happened around the time that I became acquainted with the company one taste that teaches the practice of orgasmic meditation. And um, I went through their coaching program and really started to become curious about my relationship to desire and my ability to really slow down and just focus on my own pleasure and really started to question, you know, what would it, feel like if rather than just choosing to be monogamous with the first person that shows me interest and I have some type of chemistry with, but to make the conscious choice to stay rooted in my own reality and explore intimacy with different men and women without needing to merge my reality with them. And I think that this is such an important practice, especially for women, because women's conditioning has been to like lose ourselves in the other because for so long a woman's worth was associated with her ability to be in relationship with a man. So open relationship has been a way for me to really cultivate a relationship with myself, my desires and my boundaries in such a way that I don't abandon them um, in order to make a relationship work. Mm-hmm. So having multiple sweeties allows you to not kind of put all your psychic eggs in one basket? Um, the multiple what did you say? Sweeties. Um, yes. And, you know, right now, like, I also just want to say that um, I, I am not of the belief that non-monogamy or open relationship is the quote-unquote correct way. I actually don't think that there is any one correct way to engage in relationship and whether it's monogamy, non-monogamy, polyamory, I'm in support of whatever is real and authentic and true for um, the person. And I believe it can change throughout the course of our lives. And right now for me, I have a primary partner. Um, I have also another man who I've been, I've been with his primary partner for about two years. Um, there's another man in my life who is a partner of mine who we've been getting to know each other for a few months. Um, I've, I've started to allow myself to connect with couples as well. Um, and like allowing myself to go through the practice of how do I engage in depthful intimacy with multiple different people and not feel like I need to hide anything from anyone Um, because that's where I feel like the important piece is that often, you know, we can use polyamory or open relating as a kind of way to avoid intimacy and vulnerability. And one of the biggest practices for me has been how do I get to a place with my primary partner where having conversation about being with other people can actually feel good and feel connected And the amount of growth that I've experienced around releasing the shame associated with my desire to be with more than one person um, and finding approval for it and learning how to speak about my desires with approval and confidence has just been really one of the most important practices at this stage in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is really powerful. And so the monogamy is the default um, relationship model in our culture and um, a lot of people don't even realize that they have 
uh, other options. Um, they, you know, until we kind of hear the word polyamory and a light bulb goes off, oh, really, people do that? Um, so what would you say is the difference between engaging in monogamy by conscious choice versus just by default? Yeah. So, you know, one of my teachers once, she was talking about monogamy, and she said, you know, in terms of monogamy, let it go and allow it to find its way back to you. And what I took that as is when we engage in monogamy by, de- by default, it basically means this is a socially acceptable model for relationships so, and culture, so I'm just going to accept it. So engaging by default means like, oh, it's just what everyone else is doing, so I'm just going to do it, and I'm not going to really discuss, explore whether or not this is something I genuinely desire. So the opposite of that is actually engaging in monogamy by conscious choice. And to me, the, the only way to actually consciously choose something is to have the experience of alternative. And this doesn't even necessarily mean, you know, like open relating, which to me, like to me, my definition of open relationship is, you know, having a primary partner and then having other relationships that we engage in as well. Like an example of being able to let monogamy go and then maybe come back to it is what does it even mean to consciously date, you know, meaning allow yourself to get to know multiple people and be honest about the fact of like, you know, right now I'm, I'm letting myself get to know different people at different depths of intimacy. And I actually have total approval for that. So I can really see you know, what, like, what do I want and what don't I want and how do I bring in more of what I want? So when we come back to monogamy, if that's what we genuinely want, we have the experience of something else. Mm-hmm. Right, beautiful. And uh, people joke that everyone's poly when they're dating, but um, on some level it's true because um, until we find that one person who's going to be our life mate, uh, I think a lot of people do date several people at once. They may not be being sexual with them, but they're still having that experience of um, building intimacy or the potential for intimacy with numerous people. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so there's just there's such a judgment when someone claims that for their lifestyle as opposed to, it's oh, just while I'm dating until I find the one. Where do you think that that harsh judgment comes from in our culture because whenever I post anything on social media about non-monogamy there's inevitably these harsh comments around how we're destroying the fabric of civilization (laughs) so where do you think that comes Uh from oh my god I have so many things to say on that um the first that I would say, uh, uh, well I mean there's a couple of things that I do want to say so the first is that you know I I do think that like to me polyamory open relating it's not just relationship choice it's a spiritual practice and like that's the way that I look at it and to me like the piece about polyamory in its highest form is not only it's not just oh that just means that I get to like dip dip my paintbrush into all these different places and not have to worry about the drama like to me doing polyamory well actually means way more uncomfortable conversations, like way more intimacy in some way. I'm not going to say way more intimacy, but it requires an even higher level of personal responsibility than monogamy Mm -hmm. in some ways. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but what right. I find is that, you know, many people could just kind of use polyamory as a way to just, you know, like to me, there is a difference between dating and polyamory because dating, it's like, like, I'm just like, yeah, I'm trying out different things. Like to me, polyamory feels more like a lifestyle choice, more like a value system. Um, and I, I get the sense that, like, I know some of my clients say, oh, like, I feel like polyamorous people are or weird or they're just avoiding commitment or they're just avoiding depth or intimacy. Um, I know for myself, when I first started exploring polyamory and I, I went out on a date with someone who was already in a relationship with um, two other women, I think that a big part of the judgment is the absolute fear of, like, not being chosen. Like there is like, to me, like exploring polyamory means being willing to face our fears of having someone choose someone else, so to speak, or looking at all the places where we compare ourselves or like abandonment and things like that. And things that terrify us, which polyamory is terrifying because it's having us state our, our deepest fears around love. It, like it's easy to like judge it. It's easier to judge things than it is to genuinely explore them. Um, so that's, that's what I'd have to say on that. Um, there's other things that I could say about like, for example, are you familiar with Tamara, the Tamara over in yeah. Portugal? Yeah, the, the so, community. Yes. So this is just one piece that I think is super interesting. But this this community, this intentional community, has existed for 40-plus years. Um, and they've actually said that they believe that they could genuinely solve any problem that exists within the community. I believe they have about 300 acres of property um, in Portugal. And one of the byproducts of this intentional community is that they're a polyamorous community. And... To me, I'm, I'm really interested in, in this whole concept because a lot of the judgment comes around people thinking that it's less safe to be polyamorous and that it's avoiding intimacy when in reality this community is experiencing deeper co- connection, deeper harmony, deeper compatibility than probably most cultures on this planet and they've found that polyamory is a key element of that sustainability. So that's just a piece that I want to throw in there. Yeah, thank you. All you have to do is look at our closest genetic relatives, which is the bonobos, who um, use sex to um, distill any kind of conflicts that are going on in their, in their tribe. Um, and they're the most peaceful of all of the primates. Mm. I love that. So I think we have a lot to learn from them, yes. Um, So if you're just joining us, if you're just joining us now, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Arielle Brown, who's an intimacy coach. And it looks like we have a caller. So would you like to see what the caller has to say, what kind of question they have? Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love that. Okay, great. Let's see who it is. Hello, who's there? Hello, caller. Can you hear me? Hmm. 
Okay, well, we'll try them in a little bit later. They don't seem to be at their phone right now. All right, so I'm going to go back to talking with Ariel. And mm-hmm. um, so you talked about that you specialize with the energetics of attraction and receptivity and connection. What do you mean by that? Beautiful. So a lot of this has actually been sparked, but you're familiar with the Me Too movement that's been going on? Of course. Awesome. I just... So the Me Too movement is a lot of what has been sparking this deeper level of energetic exploration around how we relate with each other. And what has been coming up with all this is women coming out with, you know, being victimized and being a victim of sexual assault and things of that nature. And, you know, this discussion of boundaries and verbal consent and things of that nature. And what I have particular interest in and a lot of the work that I do is the energetics of how we show up and attract certain people into our reality based upon the energy that we are embodying. For example, if we have experienced being victimized in the past and we tend to attract dynamics where we feel that we're being persecuted or are the victim of, whether it's emotional abuse or things of that nature, there's a certain energy that we're carrying And what I find is that when we're carrying a certain energy, there tends to be a certain energy that we will attract in. Like if we're carrying the the energy of a victim, often we can attract the energy of someone who tends to violate more. Um, The perpetrator energy or the the savior energy, if you're familiar with the drama triangle. Um, And a lot of what I'm interested in doing is supporting people in creating empowered dynamics in relationships and becoming aware of the energy that we bring into how we interact with the opposite sex or same sex. So let's give an example. Um, I, work with, I work with a lot of men who have a desire to experience deeper intimacy with women, but for some reason feel like they keep repelling them away. And I was just having a coaching session with a client of mine the other week where Um, He's really desiring to experience deeper intimacy with women. Um, He also tends to be attracted towards significantly younger women. And he's been wanting to just experience deeper connection. And what we started to look at was, okay, so when you see a woman that you are attracted to, what do you feel like energetically in your body when you're trying to connect with her? And he would start getting into the conversation of, oh, like, I, I want her. I'm feeling this sexual desire for her. I'm feeling this pulling nature for her. Um, and when we start to look at is when we have, um, how do I want to say this? Um, starting to look at how our pulling for something can actually repel people farther away, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And how the energy of what we are bringing into relationship impacts how other people receive us. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so it makes me think of when you talk about the energy that we put out attracts certain types of people to us. It makes me think about mm-hmm. how so many of us end up marrying our father or marrying our mother. Um, so let's say we grew up with an alcoholic father and then we end up getting into a relationship with an alcoholic or um, a narcissist or whatever the issue was that we grew up with. So is that part of what you're talking about where there's this momentum around a certain kind of what we're used to and then we attract the same kind of person again? 
Yes, yes, exactly. So it's exactly what you're saying, that if there is this pattern, like for me, my pattern in my early 20s was attracting men into my life who wanted to control me, um, would shame me for my feelings, um, or just like have this, this pull towards me. And what it required me to do was look at the places where I wanted to be saved by men. Because if we're constantly creating everything, if we're constantly attracting everything into our lives, which I believe that we are, and I kept attracting men into my life that wanted to control me um, or, you know, what just um, like had this very groping energy, it required me to start looking at where I had these underlying desires that were running the show that wasn't actually creating the types of relationships that I wanted. So a big part of this was taking ownership for the fact that I wanted a man to come in and save me and that there was a part of me that did feel um, like I couldn't take care of myself on my own and shifting that so I actually feel more empowered in myself has shifted the type of men that I attract into my life. And it's, it's some deep inner work. It's some deep inner processes. Mm-hmm. And you talked on your website about creating or identifying anchors in your relationships. Was that one of the tools that helped you? And can you um, explain what that means? Mm, yes. Yeah, so that's, um, I believe what you're talking about is anchors in our, uh, in the existing relationships that we have. Um, but I'll right. actually talk about anchor. So would you like me to speak about anchors in relationships or uh, I'll actually talk about, I'll talk about anchors within ourselves because that applies more to um, the, the thread that we're on right now, if that's okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Awesome. So, Here's, here's what I've found about relationship. Like when it comes to wanting to attract people into our lives, like let's say we're wanting to attract in a new relationship um, and there's almost this desperation around it or there's this fear, this fear of rejection, feeling like we don't know how to connect. Um, what can wind up happening is that we're focused so much on how other people are perceiving us that we lose connection to being anchored in our own self. And when I say being anchored in our own, our own self, it means remembering that essentially I'm an amazing human being who has amazing gifts and is living an incredibly vibrant life. And when I'm connected to that anchor, when I'm connected to the beauty of my own reality, I become a magnet for people to come into my life who can match my own vibrancy. Mm-hmm. However, most of us go into the dating realm thinking, how can I impress? How can I shift people's perceptions of me to be more attractive, more witty, more intelligent? And what happens is, is when we do that, we, we kind of lose our own anchor, and there's nothing for the person to really bite into, or we wind up creating this persona that isn't actually who we are. Right. Excellent. Okay, so let's go back to our caller and see if they're here this time. I'll give them a second chance. Hello, caller, are you there? No, I guess they're still not there, or they'll say can't hear me for some reason. 
Well, thank you for calling in anyway. I apologize if you can't hear me, uh, but we're going to go back to our conversation with Ariel Brown. So what would you say to people who are considering opening their relationship but maybe are afraid of having the uncomfortable conversations necessary to to navigate opening a relationship? Mm-hmm. Well, the first question I would ask, and this is this is a conversation that I have with clients, is like, why are you doing it? Like, what is the intention for wanting to open the relationship? Because ideally, and this is where the anchor piece comes in for your primary relationship. Ideally, you are opening your relationship because you do desire to have it be something that complements the already rich and dynamic and beautiful relationship that exists between you and your primary partner. Um, Often what I find is that people want to open up their relationship when actuality it's because there's complications that are going on in the primary relationship that it's just kind of easier to want to look outside and find satisfaction in other relationships. And this is a very, like, in my opinion, this is a really important distinction. Am I using open relationship as a way to avoid issues that exist in my current primary relationship? Or do I feel so solid in the anchor of my connection with this person that we are ready to add new textures and new experiences in that really get to complement the relationship that already exists? Um, so that in itself is a key piece, and I'm curious if you want to say anything to that before I move on to the next piece. Well, my um, most of my clients are couples in long-term marriages or long-term partnerships who are opening their relationship because there's a sexual mismatch. Um, oftentimes mm. when people get older, um, women often lose interest in sex or after menopause or Um, One partner might be sick, um, and so the sexual piece of their relationship is not working very well. Um, So when people say that you should never open your relationship to fix a problem, I think that there are exceptions to that. I think if the couple can consciously choose that, you know, my partner shouldn't have to go without sex just because I can't have sex or I don't want to have sex, and they can choose to open their relationship to fix that problem, (laughs) and still be able to stay together and honor the empire that they've built together. They may have built a family together and a home and a business and all kinds of things, and there's no reason to split all that up because relationships are about so many other things besides sex, especially long-term ones. So sometimes opening a relationship can actually fix certain things if it's made with a conscious choice. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes total sense, and I really appreciate you bringing that, that perspective in. Um, mm-hmm. so from that standpoint, what I would say is like, for those who are nervous about having the uncomfortable conversations, like after you get to a place where you're clear that you want to open up the relationship, the biggest thing I would say is getting really clear on what each person in the relationship needs in order to feel safe. Like, for mm-hmm. example, what are the agreements that need to be in place? Like I know for my primary partner, Um, we have specific agreements. Like, for example, um, let's say, uh, like, if we're going to go out on a date with someone, we're going to let our partner know in advance. 
And basically, let's say we're out on a date and there's spaciousness where, oh, it seems like we might go towards sex. So if there's spaciousness where I can check in with my partner beforehand and say, hey, it looks like it's going in this direction, I just wanted to let you know, then that's what the agreement is. However, Mm -hmm. if we're in a place where there's just kind of this flow that's happening between me and this other person, our agreement is that we can have the experience and then check in afterwards. Um, So it's these little agreements where there's no particular right or wrong way to do it, but each person gets to feel in and say, this is what I need and want in order to feel as safe as possible in this new experience. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And you talked about relation. I can't remember if you said relationship is a spiritual path or if non-monogamy is a spiritual path. Probably both of those statements are true. Um, but can you, can you, I mean, I agree with you, but for our listeners, can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that and how we can use relationship to grow? Totally. Um, so for me, my, for me, spirituality is about creating total alignment between who I am internally and how I show up in the world. So the, my spiritual practice is looking at who, do, who am I, what do I value, what do I want, and what do I need, and how do I advocate for that, advocate for those things in my external world. And the spiritual process is learning how to bring those into harmony. So something that's out of harmony would be, oh, like, let's say I'm in a relationship where, um, let's say that it is an open relationship, um, but I don't like the way that my partner is connecting with other women. That because I'm afraid of speaking that truth, I'll keep it silent. To me, the spiritual practice is to learn how to speak that truth so you can create external alignment in your relationships with what's going on inside of you. Um, and what I've found, like why this spiritual practice is so beneficial, because the more I create alignment in my life between who I am internally and how I advocate for myself externally, the more I attract experiences and opportunities and people into my life that mirror my highest joy, my highest purpose, and my highest pleasure. So meaning Like for me, what I've seen, I've seen greater prosperity in my business as a result of really creating alignment in my relationships. Um, I find like more pleasurable experiences and opportunities that I couldn't possibly plan out myself, but just somehow magically come into my life um, occurring frequently. And I directly correlate it to the work that I've done in getting really honest and clear about who I am in relationship and what I'll tolerate and not tolerate. And that also has to go with my personal integrity. Like where am I withholding the truth for fear of facing the uncomfortable conversation? Um, Where am I unwilling to, like, yeah, where am I unwilling to feel the discomfort of the truth? Um, because that's what I, like, that's, yes, that's, I'll pause there. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a really beautiful concept. And I find that when, I'm glad that you talked about 
uh, tuning into who I am because that, I think that meditation, the who am I meditation, meditating on who am I really. Um, because when we tune into who we really are, we're not this little wounded child with all these issues. <laughs> you know, we're we're just much greater than that. We really are pure consciousness and pure love and pure pure purity. Um, and when we can get a glimpse of that or a taste of that in meditation, there's really no room for jealousy or competition or possessiveness because we're infinite love. And that's the mm-hmm. exercise I often give to my clients when they're feeling jealous is meditate on who am I. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's like the answer is we're powerful creators. We're incredibly powerful creators. And whether we realize it or not, we're constantly creating our reality based upon our feelings about who we are, what we deserve, and what we want and what we need. And what I have found is the, the more in alignment my relationships get, the more fulfilling my relationships get, the more fulfilling my life as a whole gets. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Beautiful. Well, thank you. That's a beautiful answer for how we can grow from relationship. And so what do you see as the greatest challenge people face in relationships? Just in, gen- in general? Yeah, just in our, you know, modern day current relationships, what are some of the greatest challenges people are having yeah, to face? Yeah, I feel like the greatest challenge in relationship is the is the belief that we can either be in relationship or have what we want. There's, there seems to be this thing, like this is a conversation that I have with, with women, you know, is that, oh, it's so easy to be on my purpose, be in my power, be in my pleasure when I'm single. But when I get into a relationship, everything starts to get murky. And what I find is that especially in our American culture, we're, we're kind of set up to really feel like we need to sacrifice when it comes to being in relationship. And I do want to distinguish that there is a difference between sacrifice and compromise. I'm not saying that we don't have to compromise in relationship, but it just seems to me that um, many people believe that they need to give up the things that are most important to them and most pleasurable to them in order to make relationship work. And my desire and my experience is that when we become like unwilling to sacrifice and really choose to, you know, have it be a yes end that we start attracting people into our lives who have that same desire. Um, so I feel like the greatest challenge that we have in relationship is just like being ourselves. Like how do we get right. into the practice of just like, no matter who I'm with, I am just going to be myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think about, you know, the type of relationship my mo- mother had, for example. She was born in the 30s. Um, women were expected to um, just follow what, what their husbands did. So if their husband mm-hmm. wanted to have a certain career, Um, the wife was supposed to support that and she shouldn't have any of her own career aspirations unless they fit easily into what he was already doing. So if they had to move to another city or country, um, pack up the family and go, it was 
there was no second thought about it. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously that wasn't a very happy situation for women, so we changed it. And now we're trying to have relationships where things are equal and we each get to negotiate what we want. So do you think that that makes it harder to find a partner because you're both weighing what you want equally and it may not work. You may have to say no to a lot of potential relationships until you find one that matches with all of your dreams and desires in life. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question because um, I, I think that the general popula- population is still asleep to this conversation. Um, uh-huh. And once we start waking up to the fact that we are, like, the creators, we are the creators of our reality and we actually do have choice, um, the population of people that we would consider as, like, really considerable candidates lessens. But that being said, the more we become unwilling to compromise and the clearer standards we energetically set, for what we are a yes and what we are a no to, we immediately start shifting the types of people that we attract into our reality because like genuinely does attract like. So, you know, I always say, like, I really do believe that when it comes to love, like there's nothing to worry about. If we're devoted to cultivation of self, I have no doubt that we will attract the people into our lives that we are meant to to connect with. The biggest thing is being willing to be patient and know that, like, we don't know the timing of things. Like, we do not actually know the timing of how things are meant to work out. And also, the beautiful thing about non-monogamy and open relationships is that we get to explore an amazing gradient of what intimacy means that has nothing to do with sex. You know, we tend to think that, oh, like, intimacy means sex. But in reality, there are so many different ways to cultivate connection and intimacy with people from touch to cuddling to kissing to just being in each other's presence. And I find that, you know, so much of what we're wanting is to just experience real authentic connection. You know, it's not even like it is about the sex, but it's not really about the sex. I think most of us are just really wanting like community like community mm-hmm. of people who we feel we can really be met and seen and celebrated and held by. That's what I'm finding. Like when I'm a lot of my coaching clients who are opening up to the fact that they desire to explore unconventional methods of relating um, are feeling really alone in terms of communities where they feel that they have people to talk to about this. And right. I actually feel that that's the big need right now because Like, I live in Northern California, where all of this is really, I dare say, socially acceptable. But that's not Mm -hmm. the norm in the general population of America. Like, there's a lot of judgment, and there's a lot of loneliness. Yes. I'm glad you said that. I I am a big fan of community for um, non-traditional relationships, and I have a dream of traveling around the world, starting little meetups and communities for um, people that are practicing relationships outside the box so they're not so alone and bringing some of those tools that, like, Tamara has learned, Tamara has learned, and the Zeg Forum and things like that to bring communities together. So I'm a big fan of that. 
Um, and let me ask you, do you have any clients that come to you or have you helped people who have kind of developed an addictive quality around relating and they need more time for self-intimacy, um, more time to learn to um, nurture themselves and not be constantly looking for other people to validate them and make them okay? Um, how do you help people like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually experiencing that with one of my clients right now where, you know, there's actually a lot of, uh, like, unsettlement in, uh, that's not quite the word, but there's a lot of discord in the, the, the marriage right now. And really, you know, looking like there can be kind of this compulsive energy to want to connect. And in those moments, it's asking, like, what's being avoided here? Like when you feel yourself compulsively wanting to connect with all these different people, like what is the thing that you are avoiding? Mm-hmm. You know, it's similar with compulsive eating. You know, when we compulsively eat, like what is the thing that's genuinely wanting attention? Um, so that's, that's the question. That's the question that I asked the other day. It's like can you slow down and feel into the one thing that feels the most uncomfortable, yet simultaneously you know is the thing that needs the most attention. Right, exactly. That's a good way to put it. And do you and feel one, like it's... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, well, it would, the, there's one piece that I wanted to add about the last the last question you asked where... I feel like a lot of people feel like for polyamory and open relating that it's about the sex. And I like it, it like obviously sex is a piece of it, but I feel like what most people are wanting permission for is the permission to have their heart fully open. It, you know, I saw this funny meme, like a polyamory meme where it's like, no one says that you're only allowed to love one friend and no one else. Like, no one says that you're only allowed to love one author and no one else. Like, no one says you're allowed to love one, only one parent and no one else. There is this rule that's been made and this very fear-based rule in monogamy that, or like, you know, default monogamy where it's like, oh my God, if you love anyone else, it completely jeopardizes our relationship. And what a shame because it's so inherently flawed from the very perspective you said that like we are all a frequency of love and I feel like so many people who are desiring open relationship the underlying thing is a desire to feel like their hearts can be open and I I just want to name that for people who have you know understandable judgments about where sex comes into play with polyamory lifestyles and things of that nature yes our society has put sex in a different category from everything else. Like it should just be with one person, whereas anything else, tennis or going to a movie or anything else can be done with multiple people, but not sex. And I think that came (laughs) from patriarchy of trying to control women's bodies so that um, the men knew who their children were and they could pass the property along patrilineal lines. And in order to control women's sexuality, we had to be shamed about it and told that we didn't we shouldn't be feeling sexy or turned on or want sex. So I believe it all came out of that and I think that takes us back around to the Me Too movement where it feels like the third wave of feminism and we really are finally claiming our autonomous right to our bodies and to be respected and given an equal opportunity. 
Mm. Yep. <laughs> okay, That's so we're almost of out of time. I don't want to. I don't want to run out of time. I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you. It's been delightful getting to know you and hearing about your take on relationships. And you're a very articulate, brilliant woman. And um, I'd love for people to be able to find you. So I believe you have a gift to offer our listeners. And also, please let them know how they can reach you. Yes. So for anyone who listens to this uh, to this podcast, I'd love to offer a complimentary 30-minute uh, relationship attunement call. And basically what this call is, is for if you're in a relationship and you're feeling a disconnect around communication or where you're both at in terms of what your desires are for in the relationship, whether you're monogamous or wanting to open it up, what I'd love to offer is a 30-minute complimentary call to just see what's going on for you in your relationship and where are you wanting to sync back up with your partner to get on the same page around desires, boundaries, and areas of exploration within the relationship. Um, If you'd like to take me up on this offer, you can visit my website at www.arielleebrown.com. That's arielbrown.com. And just fill out the connect with me form at the bottom of the page. And I would love to have a conversation with you. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show, Ariel. It was a delight to meet you. And I wish you all the best with your practice. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on the show as well, Sumati. Okay. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Okay. So before we end the show, I just want to let everyone know that next week I'll be speaking with Lyndon Kuditz. can't pronounce her last name either. Um, uh, Lyndon is a, an LGBTQI educator and a social justice consultant. So it, I believe um, Lyndon uses the pronoun they. So we will be uh, looking forward to speaking with them and learning about the um, social justice around LGBTQI issues um, in our world today. So please join us next week, Tuesday night at 6 p.m., for our interview with Lyndon. All right, everybody, have a great evening. <laughs>